Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to Vineyard Community Church as we continue on in a series we're doing called Staying Present in the Presence. In this series, we're, uh, we're looking through the Gospel of Luke kind of as our foundation, although right now we're, we're in a little detour, but we're using Luke to help us um, uh, look at the life of Jesus and how Jesus modeled life for us and what we can learn from him about uh, staying present in the presence of God. And so we're, we're, we're into chapter six now. Um, a, a couple of weeks ago, just a quick review, we talked about the importance of Sabbath and, and, uh, staying, and how that has a big impact on staying present in the presence. And uh, that on your Sabbath, you need to rest and recreate and remember how great God really is. Last week, we introduced the idea of the importance of having right attitudes, uh, uh, the be attitudes in staying present in the presence of God. And uh, there's a, Luke has a small version of the Beatitudes, sort of, it's kind of a summary, um, but Matthew's account was uh, more detailed, and so for the sake of this little sub-series on the Beatitudes, which are extremely important in staying present in the presence, we're popping into Matthew for a few weeks and talking about the Beatitudes together. We looked at Matthew 5, 3 last week, we talked about the attitude of humility uh, as the first one as we looked at the phrase poor in spirit. And I said that humility is key because it allows us to realize our desperate need for God and for others and to turn to Jesus for life and, and we see the importance of staying present in the presence of God to experience real life. So that's what we looked at last week. We're going we're gonna to look at Matthew 5.4 together here in just a moment. But uh, uh, I told her... Uh, I retold a really bad joke last week that I had found um, while I was researching some stuff uh, that I had told a few years ago. And, and if you heard it last week, I don't need to tell it again, but it was very, very bad. It was about antennas and getting married and, and the really awesome reception. Anyway, uh, in thinking about that, some people said, oh, you've told worse jokes than that one. And I realized that I probably have. And so I thought about some bad jokes that I've told over the years, and I thought maybe for some of you that haven't been here, for some of them, you should hate them as well. And so, uh, so I've, I, I dug through the files and found some of the jokes that you will love to hate, like this one. Um, what is Kermit the Frog's middle name? The. I told you they were terrible jokes. What do all the Smiths in the phone book have in common? They all have phones. <laughs> I like having Randy here, it's good. Okay, here you go. Why do bagpipers walk when they play? They're trying to get away from the noise. <laughs> Sorry. I apologize to any bagpipers that I've offended. <laughs> okay, fortunately I put the scripture reading right here. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 says this, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And blessed be the word 
of the Lord. Think about that scripture today as we are going to look at Matthew 5, 4 together. It's the second of the Beatitudes. And it says, blessed, remember I said that means happy, are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And I, I said some of these seem a little counterintuitive because it, seems, it doesn't seem like it makes sense to say happy are those who mourn, uh, for they will be comforted. But indeed, they are. Uh, last week, that attitude that we looked at, I like to think of as the attitude of humility. This week, I like to look at this beatitude and think about it as the attitude of reality. Reality. And the reality is that the world is fallen. The planet is broken. My sin caused the problem. I can't fix it. And that's an extremely painful realization. Life doesn't work. And deep in my soul, there's a longing for heaven. Deep within the soul of every believer is a longing for heaven. And I don't think, in in my discussion with people, and we've touched on this a few times in the past, but I just don't think that most people really know what that longing for heaven looks like or feels like. And, And deep down, what we know is that there's something better than what we're experiencing. There's something better, and we know it, we know it. We just know there's something better out there. And no matter how hard, and we've been talking about this for the last couple of weeks, we try to make everything work, it just never does. No matter how hard we try, no how much effort we put into making everything work, because we want it all to work, because we're pretty confident, like I told you, that if we could get our circumstances right, then life's gonna be better. So we, we put most of our effort in trying to do that. It just never happens that way. That's why I said real life is found in relationship with God and others. It's found in right attitudes, not in right circumstances. So because it just doesn't all work, no matter how we try, there's this empty place inside of us. And if we're not aware of what that emptiness is and how to deal with it, which is what this this, uh, Beatitude actually teaches us, is that we'll try and fill it with other things. Um, sometimes we try and fill that, that sense that something's not quite right with, with things that are, they seem okay, kind of like, you know, getting really busy, always on the go, pushing all the time, um, and that sometimes we get busy like that so we never have to stop long enough to let that feeling kind of get us that something's not quite right. So, so we try and do that. Or sometimes we turn to things that, that not that those are really good, but we turn to things that are, that are more destructive, um, you know, bad situations, drugs, alcohol, immorality, all sorts of stuff that the world offers us. We, we try and get into those things, and, and that doesn't, doesn't fix it. Um, sometimes, you know, I've told you this, it's, it's like trying to re- recreate some memories from the past where over time those memories from the past um, have, have seemed to be like the best times we ever experienced because we've, we, uh, we sort of selectively remember good stuff and we drop a lot of the stuff that went along with it. And so in our minds we have these things where, oh, that was just the, that was the best sort of time and, and situation. I, I think uh, uh, one of the reasons that old television shows are so popular uh, is that they create in us sort of a, a wave of something that feels good and right because it kind of draws us back 
to better times. Certain shows, if it was a really terrible time, it doesn't work, but there are certain shows that, you know, sometimes just hearing the theme song will make you feel different in an in a, in a interesting sort of way. You know, it's like, um, I remember as a kid, we used to gather around and watch a mash. And so sometimes when I'm flying through channels and I, and, uh, I don't watch that much TV and I hear the theme song for MASH, ooh, MASH. And it's, it was a terrible theme song. But <laughs> it just triggers, you know, certain things. And there's, there's something about that because you, you think, you know, it's just trying really hard, but it's not quite right. There's something missing. And, and so maybe I can get lost in that. And then we, we sometimes think, oh, those are really good times. You know, I, I see old shows on TV sometimes. I used to like Donna Reed. I don't even remember times like that, but can you imagine, uh, I, I don't know if any of you could, like, in those shows, the, the guy would come home and he'd still keep his tie on and stuff at, at, around the dinner table and everything. Now, we live in the Keys, I don't even own a tie, but uh, I never saw that sort of stuff. But you think, well, that looks like, doesn't look like a nice life, you know, in a, back in the late 50s, early, but they had their own messes going on, the f- threats of nuclear holocaust, little kids at school diving under the desk, that couldn't have been a good time in practice, you know what I mean? That just couldn't have been, that couldn't have been fun for everybody. Um, but you know, everything sort of gets romanced in a certain way. And, and it, oh, we, we think, oh, that's what it looks like. But see, the, the, the other thing with coming up to holidays coming up, the, this whole longing thing is often the driving force behind um, people trying to recreate sort of Martha Stewart Thanksgiving and Christmases. And we put so much energy, uh, don't get me wrong, I like the holidays, but we put so much energy into trying to recreate something sometimes that, oh, that was so good when everybody got together because we've forgotten how bad it really was and how they all acted up and were fighting with each other and the food didn't work and you, you cooked for an entire two days and you ate it in four and a half minutes and then it took you another six hours to clean it up and nobody cared and nobody helped and, and you, you're just kind of sitting around going, <sighs> Anything relate to anybody? Because we're, we're trying. And, and a lot of times then we miss what we should have been doing, which is kind of hanging out and enjoying one another, you know, and making new, new sort of stuff go on and not be so. But anyway, this all happens and, and it, it just is it difficult. We're trying to recapture those moments that we now remember with such joy. But the, the reality is the longing for heaven can't be satisfied this side of heaven. It'll always be there at some measure. And it's okay. Because what it's supposed to do is remind us that this is not our home. See, that's why it's there. It, shouldn't, it doesn't have to be bad. It's just there. This is not as good as it gets. This is short of what you were created for. And, and we'll experience some amazing times here, which is cool. And I'm, I'm, I'm blessed by that. And we get taste of the banquet that lies ahead. We get to, to, to experience it in some measure. But it's never as good as it's going to be, ever. And it's a reminder. I mean, it, and it shouldn't be. There's something so much better that lies ahead. And so, so what we have to do is, rather than be consumed with trying to satisfy that longing now, which we cannot do, we have to figure out what this psalm says, which is we have to mourn the brokenness. And the reality that we have to face and embrace is that we live in a fallen world on a broken planet. Everything is broken here, including us. It's all broken. It's a result of the fall. It's all broken. So with that in mind, see, that helps us, I think, make this shift that I've been talking about from the temporary to the eternal. That no matter how hard you focus on things that are temporary, they'll never be quite 
Right. And when our focus is there, anytime anything happens that messes with our circumstances, we take it extremely personally. And that's one of the problems. We, we forget that it's just a reminder that everything's broken and all of a sudden every little thing happened becomes huge. It's like an attack on our plans of trying to make everything work. And we, we get to that place where, you know, why does this always happen to me? And, and sometimes we, we get mad at God or we, we blame God or we think that we're, we're being punished for something. And I, I bring that up, I know often, but it, that can't be your picture of God because it will keep you distant from him. If, if the first, anytime something messes up your circumstances, one of your initial thoughts and reactions is, I must have done something wrong and God's out to get me. It's a bad way of thinking. It's not what's going on. The world's fallen. The planet's broken. It happens all the time. You'll never have perfect circumstances. This side of heaven. They can't. Because something much better is on the way. Everything is broken. This isn't heaven. And sin caused the brokenness. Our sin and the sins of others, and it just, it just all adds to the problem. So if you, if you feel the need to get mad at someone when, when all that's getting messed up, focus your anger on the evil one because he's the one that caused the mess. We, we bought into his lies. He deceived us back then, our ancestors, that they could be like God. They thought that they could. They, they took the bait and they, they bit into it, uh, so to speak. And all of us have ever since. And he continues to try and deceive us by, by telling us we can make everything right right now and throw all your energy at that and forget about what really matters. And we get off track. And we'll never experience life until we make the transition from the temporary to the eternal. Until our focus changes, we'll never really experience that joy that we should experience in the presence of God. And I said to you, in the presence of God, there's joy. Not, not this happy, skippy joy, but a settledness that goes... He's got me now and forever. And that longing that I experience is just a reminder. It's not bad. It's just a reminder of what's to come. It's actually a good thing when you figure it out. Everything's broken here. It's all a mess. It's a terrible mess. And it, it's sad. And, and it's, you know, you, you mourn it. Some things can't be fixed. And it's, it's terrible in the process. But see, all of it at some level should point us back to the fact. That, that, that God's got us forever. Everything here is temporary. It'll never be perfect. But, but in his mercy and his grace, he's made a way for us to get back into relationship even though we've messed up, and that's in Christ. And, 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 and it brings the relationship back into what it's gonna be, uh, what it was like before the fall. And we're in the process of, of hitting that. This is not as good as it gets but you, you don't need to fix everything or try and fix everything in order to experience real life. So with that in mind, and hopefully that's explained a little, what do we do? Well, we embrace the brokenness of our lives, and as we do, then we find comfort from God and, and we find life in his presence. Psalm 34, 18 says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. That, that saves of there could, could be translated that he comforts those who are crushed in spirit and the word comfort is an old English word that actually means that it's to strengthen so in effect it says that the Lord actually strengthens those who are crushed in spirit who are grieving who are mourning how does that work second Corinthians 12 8 through 10 the apostle Paul says three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me but he said to me my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness Therefore, I, I, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses 
so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. See, when I realize that in my own strength I can't make it work, but, but somehow in admitting it and dealing with my weakness, then in Christ I'm strong because I'm trusting in him, not me. See, and instead of trying to make it all work, I just put my focus on him. God, it's all on you. And then God's amazing, and he makes everything work that needs to work. He knows what I need. Again, not, so not all going to go the way I want, but he takes care of stuff. If I trust him, if I let him, he gets it. See, I get all of a sudden it's not all on me. It's, it's, the reality is it's a mess, but I'm his now and forever, and he knows that, and he's already in the business of taking care of me. It's not a pass on difficulty because this is a fallen world. But what, it's, a, it's knowing that he's with me that I can rest in him. And that he's going to see me through forever. Forever. It's an amazing deal. And, and when I trust in him, I want you to look at some of the things that are available to us. Here we go. I'm finally getting to the points and you know some of you are probably freaking out. He's going to preach for hours. <laughs> How long will he go? These are quick points because I pretty much preached what I wanted to say. Point number one, this is what's available to us when we trust in him. God's mercy and grace is available to us. That's a pretty good deal. Mercy and grace. Hebrews 4.16 is part of our scripture reading for the day. Let us approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. When you realize you have needs, you can go right into the throne of God. You can't fix it. You can't make it work, but you can go to him and he's got all the grace and mercy that you need. And I, I don't know about you, but that's one of the best deals going. Grace and mercy, that's wonderful stuff. And all that we need in our time of need. Second, when I'm trusting him, I get something else that's opened up to me and that's God's word. God's word. Psalm 119, 49 through 52. Never forget your promises to me, your servant, for they are my only hope. They give me strength in all my troubles. How they refresh and revive me. Proud men hold me in contempt for obedience to God, but I stand unmoved. From my earliest youth, I have tried to obey you. Your word has been my comfort. So when, when things are difficult, but I trust in God, his word opens up to me, and it's amazing to me how often God speaks to me in his word. Words of comfort, words of hope, words of vision, words of, of promise. Just by opening it up, and, and you know, I've told you before, I encourage you to have a little systematic type of reading. In my systematic reading, I'm amazed at how often God speaks to me, and whatever it is, it comes. I'll be in a situation, and whatever I read seems to work into that situation. Because the word's alive. It speaks to our hearts. God uses it. And it brings comfort. Third, resource, when we trust in God. God's people. God's people. 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. When we're trusting in him, part of the community of God, um, it's, it's amazing to me that when we're going through a situation, how often God will bring someone into our lives who has just the right word to speak to us and really gets where we're coming from. Usually because they've been through it themselves. And it fascinates me even more that those difficult things that we go through somehow get redeemed because God will use us to bring comfort to others because we've been through it and now we can speak to the hearts of others who are going through it. 
And we can tell him, you know, God's got you. He'll get you through it. Hang on. Hang in there. And suddenly, in, in that process, all of the mess that we went through, all the whys and the, and the not wanting to do it, and, and, and that God redeems it. Because you can see how he uses it in the life of somebody else. Fourthly, and, and certainly not least importantly, but just hit forth in my notes, we have God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God is available to us. Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, when you're you're putting your trust in God, then the Spirit of God who's in you as a believer, he helps you along and this hope will well up in you knowing that he's got you forever. And that, that the reality is that, that we're only going to find life in his presence. And so these two beatitudes that we've talked about help us to do that. Humility and reality. They get us where we really need to be to, to stay present in the presence of God and experience life. And it, and it brings me back to this point. I brought it up to you before and I'm, I want to bring it up to you again. It helps us to know that at the heart of his story, we're called to be a people who do this, who recognize and embrace our own brokenness and then get healed enough in Jesus that we can help other broken people recognize and embrace their brokenness and get healed enough in Jesus to help other broken people recognize and embrace their brokenness and get healed in Jesus and on and on it goes. And we can't get there without these attitudes working in our lives. Humility and reality. Teaching us to trust him. Things will never be quite right here. We're going to get good, some good stuff going on. And don't get me wrong, there's some neat things that happen. But it'll never be quite right. And that's okay. Because what's coming is better. And that constant sort of thing inside us is just a, it's really a good reminder. Hey, what's ahead is even better. Focus on me. Trust in me. That's where you find life now. And I'm with you now and forever. And that's what Beatitude of Matthew 5.4 teaches us. And we'll end it there for today. If you're watching by television or on video, thank you so much for spending your valuable time with us. We appreciate you. If uh, you have prayer requests or anything, go ahead and email us or call us and we'll do our best to respond to you. And thanks again for spending time with us. We'll uh, hope that you tune in again soon or come and visit us.